Step one, identify the target and its flaws. There are always flaws. I learned that early in life. My first hack, the local library, a vulnerable FTP server and its AS400. A far cry from the Android zero days I'm using to own the FBI standard issue smartphone. The library was a test to see if I could even get into the system. I've since set greater goals. For instance, step two, build malware and prepare an attack. At my fingertips, the zero day is wrapped in code like a Christmas present, then becomes an exploit. The programmatic expression of my will. I live for this shit. You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Coffee Bat Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today, by the power of Skype, we have Ryan. Hello. And Jamal's here, finally. Yes, I'm back. Yay! Yay, The whole group's here. So the people that started listening to us within the last couple episodes, they probably heard us say Jamal's name often, and they're probably like, who the hell is this Jamal guy? (laughs) Um, And the people that have been around for the three years that we've been around, they know who Jamal is. And he, we finally got him. He's always too busy. He's on, like, uh, like Black Power meetings. <laughs> but he's finally here. <laughs> and we're all ready to review Mr. Robot, Episode 5, Logic Bomb. This one was directed by Sam Esmail, as they have been all season. However, first episode for Season 2 that was written by Kyle Bradstreet. IMDb gave it a 9.7. We could talk for a minute about the origin of the title. So a logic bomb is a piece of code that is inserted into software which will execute a malicious action only when one or more specific conditions are met. Logic bombs are often components of viruses set to execute at a designated time. And the extension .hc identifies a volume encrypted by VeraCrypt, a fork of TrueCrypt. A fork of TrueCrypt? Yeah, I guess it's part of it. Ooh. You also found, Jason, some tech notes for us last time about what a Tor network is. Uh, yes. So towards the end, I think it's towards the end of the episode mm-hmm. when Elliot has that other dude come all beaten up to help him get into the system. Yes. They speak about Tor. I believe it's that. Or is that in the beginning? No, they don't really speak about it. At the, at the end of the last episode, you kind of just you see it on one of the pages. That I I mean, you see it on one of the pages that it's a tour site, but yeah, I mean, they he also says that it's a tour, like he types it in. I tour, think. that's right. Okay. Yeah. So Tor is a free software and an open network that helps you defend against traffic analysis, a form of an, of network surveillance that threatens personal freedom and privacy, confidential business activities and relationships, and state security. So basically. If you guys want to check that out, go to torproject.org, and you'll see the website. It's essentially a browser that lets you browse the internet, message people without being without the metadata being uh, copied over. Mm-hmm. So you can communicate anonymously. Yes, right. and some people go even deeper. They download this uh, thing called Onion, which is the dark net. That was also what it was. What yeah, the site was. It's onion.tor. Yeah. So it's. In the dark net and using Tor. Uh, so it's like uh, you're doubly <laughs> safe. 
Yeah, there's components of this that are going to play in with one of the scenes we talk about later and more about the dark net as well. I know that my job, um, they have this system plugged into their servers. It's a box that records what everyone does. Really? Yeah. Uh, so, oh, that sounds so that crappy. if you get in trouble, I hate that. yeah, they can. It's kind of annoying. They can look back and see everything that you've done on the internet, um, and by the username you signed into for their wireless. Have you tried using Tor? I haven't. <laughs> but the thing is, what's funny is if I go to Tor. <laughs> project.org to download it they'll see that i've gone to right. there to oh, download wow. it. <laughs> hey well i was just researching yeah there you go <laughs> for our music notes this episode we don't have a lot like we normally do there's only two that i could find what's your ask and wait for the cue both by mac quail the show's composer oh nice so no non-original songs we also have a few episode notes. One of them is from our last episode where we talked about the film that they were watching, The Careful Massacre. We talked about how it was not a real film. However, I found out that it does borrow its title and plot from a 1972 surrealist film called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. And this is where they reinterpret it from. And USA has also released an eight-minute version of this film that you can see online. And one last note, the gowns that White Rose was showing Dom. I was interested about these. Apparently, they're from the Qing Dynasty, the final ruling dynasty in China, which ran from 1644 to 1912. And White Rose noted that the embroidered yellow dress was owned by royalty. During this time, yellow clothing could only be worn by members of the royal family. Jeez. Hmm, so these are legit dresses that he's got in there. They're in pretty good well, shape. Well, not just that. Jeez. It was the fall of an empire, right? That's right. Yes. Based, and so was the painting that they were looking at before right. they went into that room. Yeah, we'll get to that as well, definitely. Uh, fun fact, I was checking out Sam Esmail's Twitter page, and his poster image, uh, it says, the opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of USA Network. <laughs> so I'm wondering if like he just threw that up there so people would... Uh, like, stop giving him shit? Or maybe he just or threw he it up there. Or overstepped and USA was like, yeah. ah, we should probably put a disclaimer on there. Right. Or it's Sam just doing it just to be like, I don't know. And they started editing out curses now, too. I don't know. Oh, they always like, did, though. Oh, they did? Yeah. yeah. I guess I was listening to it. Because they said cunty and fuck. Yeah. In the first one, they said fuck four times. I remember people you talking You mentioned about that last time. Is he listening to... If oh, you if you're it, watching it online? Online. I did. I watched it online today, and they... they That's why you can hear it. You can hear it then. If you listen to... Uh, I didn't today. That's what I'm saying. Oh. Like, they, they oh. had it there, and they, they like, muted it out. Darlene it, said fuck, and they didn't, they, didn't, uh, they didn't close caption it, and they didn't have her say it. They, like, muted it down when she went to say it. Where did you watch it? On usanetwork.com. That's why. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so where else would you watch it? Uh, no, I... no, no, nowhere else. <laughs> Always USA Network. Come on. <laughs> I wasn't going to watch things anymore. Unter I use Tor. <laughs> um, another uh, little thought, which is cool. I saw this on Sam Esmail's timeline, so it's not from me. But um, Sam Esmail's name is an anagram of mass email. How cool is that? That's funny. I was trying to remember the name that uh, Elliot used in the 
when they were going to Steel Mountain for the yes, first time. Yes, Sepiel. Yeah, Sepiel, and I thought that that was like an anagram. Sam Sepiel. It's pretty close. Yeah. Okay, let's get into our synopsis. We have actually 20 scenes to go through. This was jam-packed, even though we weren't as long as our previous episodes. But we'll go through it quickly as we can. The first scene took place in Ray's office, where Elliot talks about how he's going to deliver by tonight. This was probably one of the coolest scenes as he steps us through what his plan is and how he's going to hack. So step one was identify the target and its flaws. He talks about how his first hack was on a local library server, basically to see if he could get into the system to test himself. Step two, build malware and prepare an attack. He talks about how in his fingertips the zero day is wrapped in code and it is a programmatic expression of his will. Basically, he wants to do it himself. Step three, reverse to stage an exploit. Load the malware into a delivery system and make it infallible. Hidden within the kernel is a logic bomb, malicious code designated to execute under certain circumstances. So in this situation, basically, if someone in the FBI discovers it, all memory will self-destruct. Ooh. I was looking at the code screen while he was doing that, and one of the packages he has set to send when uh, the user does a certain thing it, send it sends this package, which then he'll infiltrate. Mm-hmm. It had an extension of .apk. Hmm. And just like last week, it's an Android-specific extension. Right. Um, and you saw that he was talking about uh, breaking into their phones, their right. Android phones. So it's an Android application package. So APK, Android application. Yeah, package. that was his step one, find the weaknesses, right? Right. And that's what he found here was that they had recently switched over from BlackBerry to Android phones. Exactly. And he knew right then that's how he was going to exploit them. Uh, it's used by the Android operating system for distribution and installation of mobile apps and middleware. APK files are analogous to the other software packages such as APPX in Microsoft Windows or DEB packages in Debian-based operating systems like Ubuntu. I want to make up an operating system, you know, and call it Ryanian. <laughs> <laughs> Rhinoceros. Well, the Debbie f- can have one. Why can't I? <laughs> the final step, step four, was to launch the attack. And then he would own every Android phone of the FBI agent in the building, essentially, making him the domain administrator. And he says this is the greatest rush. So is this akin to him for the high that he feels, what he's seeking from the drugs, the best way that he can get that feeling? Complete so. power? I mean, he says, I live for this shit. So he's mm. definitely into this, having a good, he's having a good time. This is where, this is what he wants to be doing. Yeah. It feels like it's like he's finally being himself, almost accepting Mr. Robot as part of him. And he's finally starting to move together without this big war, without shutting him out. And it seems this is their commonality. This is their common ground. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like he, like, it doesn't seem like he's working with Mr. Robot at all in this. I think he might be. And that's why we're not seeing Mr. Robot on screen. It's in these moments where they're able to harmonize that he's not separate from him. It's only a couple times throughout the course of this episode when Elliot oversteps and he's doing something Mr. Robot finds dangerous, that we actually see him come on scene. Right. Right. But in that scene, yeah, Mr. Robot and him are one. I love the way 
you were you were asking if it's like a high for him. Definitely, you saw that. I thought it was nighttime, but basically he was so enthralled into what he was doing that everything around him went dark. Right. He he forgot that the bodyguard was there. Bodyguard, whatever, henchman, and um, right. and then when he gets snapped out, it gets daytime again, and then he goes right back in. This is an interesting point to make because we wondered for a minute, is he actually losing time? Is this one of those experiences where a whole afternoon has gone by and he doesn't even know it? But then we see it quickly go light to dark, dark to light, and it is kind of like he's just tuning everything else out when this happens. So this ends with him telling the henchmen that there was an encrypted database on the server that he needs access to, and he goes back to his hacking. Then we get one quick scene at the FBI with DiPiero where she's investigating the wiring behind something on the wall. Yeah. Did we ever find out what that was? Yeah, yeah. It was the Steel Mountain um, Raspberry Pi that they installed from last season. Oh. The temperature control. Okay. I had no idea what she was doing there. Yeah. You know, right before that scene when you see her walking uh, with, with that guy in those hallways. Yeah. That's just another Sam Esmail awesome cinematography because basically it's just white walls and, and them walking. Mm. So I guess normally what you would see is just like a, a frame with them two in it and the, the camera's following them going backwards. Yeah. But this one, they had it up against the ceiling as if, you know, you're looking at it from up top. Like a security a, cam. Yeah. In a weird angle. And again, it's just a way for him to give us that, like, a bit of a uncomfortable uneasiness. Yeah, I think he really plays with that all episode long. There are moments where he could make it a big cinema type production, mm-hmm. but instead he chooses to do things a little differently and focus in on the people we're paying attention to. And we'll talk about that when we get oh, there. Oh, yes. But. I know what you're talking about. Did you notice uh, that, I mean, you could barely hear it because it seemed like the background music was so loud. Uh, but DiPiero was talking to a uh, Steel Mountain guy, but he said that they changed the name to Steel Valley, and it's written on the plaques instead. I don't know why they went from a mountain to a valley. I know. Was this him playing with us because of the obvious resemblance to Iron Mountain? Is this is this playing with us again? Because kind of silly to change that. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Well, I don't know. Maybe, you know, when you mess up as a company, but you, you don't mess up enough where you're totally bankrupt, but you kind of right. need to reinvent yourself in the eyes of the public. Mm. Yeah, so you just change the name. Show. Maybe that, you know, we change the name. We change the reflection that people have of us. Hmm. So, so they went from a mountain to a valley, decimated, <laughs> totally decimated the mountain and just left nothing even took more earth out they're gonna run with it having it flat (laughs) we're steel pit next all right now we go over to angie at her house and darlene is there just a brief note she's wearing red shorts we're gonna see her wearing red clothing a lot in this scene in this episode red is a repeated theme that we've been going through And Angie hasn't seen her in five weeks. So we get a little bit of a time frame here because sometimes that's very confusing how much time has passed. Yeah. Darlene threatens her with exposure, that she's the one who put the CD in that led to the hack. This could also lead to Elliot. Now it's time for her to help him, basically. Darlene says that what she's going to have to do will make her gut instinct scream, fuck no, but she needs to ignore that and remind herself this is simple. She will take a small device to work, 
drop it off at the Fed's floor, the 23rd floor, and walk away. Once they have access to the system, they will be able to destroy any evidence they might have. Yeah, um, when they sit down together, you really get that picture of uneasiness. They're both sitting in the lower uh, right corner of the screen, and the rest of it, there's a painting on the wall and the windows behind them, but it's just a bunch of negative space with only them sitting together in the, yeah, the why corner. Did I don't know if they're trying to say that it's them. There's like this this bigger thing closing in around them. Yeah, perhaps. As soon as she sat down, I was like, why is she sitting so close to her? She's got that whole couch. I thought she was doing it on purpose to invade her personal space and kind of impose her will upon her. She's asking her to do something very crazy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, at the end of this scene, Angie refuses initially. Yes. And you got to remember, they were actually good friends. Like, they were like girlfriends. So she can be comfortable with that space and they're showing you there's a distance and it's like i'm coming to you as that Mm. and it's like to me all right like what i wanted to read is like a definition of what i think this whole thing is like with this whole season and um i don't know if you ever heard the word technocracy Mm. but the definition is the government or control of society or industry by an elite of tech technical experts so i think what you're seeing is like to me the final part that needs to happen now you're talking about the government like the fbi you're trying to do espionage and cyber region on the fbi the elite force that's out there and you can see how everybody's ahead of them all the players in this is ahead of the fbi and now they're sending in a non-technical expert a non-technical person sorry in there to finally bring down the last form of society. You mean the uh, bureau? Well, the oh. FBI is total, because look, oh. we have China is a big player in this. We have the Dark Army, who's a big player. You have F Society. These are, all of them, to me, are ahead of the FBI. It's like yeah. the FBI is like, there's so many steps behind all of the, this, this new world that's being created. The old world got destroyed, and you're now bringing in the technocracy. It's a power vacuum to see who is going to be the controller of the world, which is what the hacktivists like Elliot never thought of. China has been hacking the United States in real life. So they're the new world power. Then you have the Dark Army, who's the new Illuminati, the secret people who are in the background who you don't know and who are manipulating everybody. And that's how I kind of see it. So now the FBI is the last part of society because they've already taken down banking. The oligarchy is who used to rule before the technocracy, the banking people. They've been taken down. So now you're bringing in the technocracy. And this is the fight and the power vacuum to see who's going to rule from the ashes of the former world. And that's how I see this. It's like season one was just a prequel which is what we spoke about. And that's why they're bringing in e-coin? Yes, I agree. And I was going to say that I think the only thing I would look at a little bit differently is we thought F-Society was a major player in these events that are happening, but it seems more and more like they have just been used in order to kickstart the fall of the current uh, civilization, the way we run things, so that people like White Rose and the Dark Army can build back up in the way they envision things. And I think Esmiel's even taken this to 
more extreme fictional kind of place because we see that in the show, the U.S. is very much ruled by even only a few corporations, less than in real life. I mean, Evil Corp has a farther reaching arm than anybody does in present day. Then we go over to China and we found out in this episode, not only is White Rose at the head of the Dark Army, controlling everything that he's doing, but he's also the Minister of State for China. Mm -hmm. Walnut State for security. Minister of Security, I'm sorry, yes. Um, for China, and he seems to also even have his hands into the UN in some way. So they really are major superpowers controlling everybody going up against each other. And I think you're definitely right, Jamal, that the way they're envisioning that new world is through technology and stuff like this e-coin. And that's what I wanted to, I want to add to what you said. What That's what I mean by, like, people like Elliot. Anytime you see people who want to do a revolution in history and they want things to change, all they ever do is create a power vacuum yeah. for the new power to take over, the new few. And they always believe they're doing something good. But in order to bring a true revolution, you need a force. Well, once you need that force's help, what do you think they're going to do when they're successful? They're going to take over and become the new power. So exactly what you were saying, I agree with that, that they always manipulate the people who are doing it for the good reasons by making them part of the the movement because they have the power to push it through, but then they always end up just manipulating these people. And it's like Elliot and them are back where they started. Has the world... <laughs> yeah, you've actually ushered them in. You've given them this position, people like Elliot. Yep. Okay, so back to our review. We're going to keep going over all of these themes as we go through because they're going to be prominent in a lot of stuff this episode. The next scene takes place at a restaurant where Joanna meets with Kareem. Not their usual time or place. Um, He says he wants out. He lied to the FBI. Now they know it. His phone is tapped. People are watching him. He questions, who are we protecting? A scrawny kid in a hoodie? Hmm. So that really makes you think about what is going on. And we did question last time, why is she working so hard to perpetuate this story that's out there? Is Tyrell really alive? Is she working to keep his name clean? We still don't really know what's underneath all of that. But part of the agreement was that he wouldn't ask any questions. He's pushed it too far. She can't afford to pay him anymore. So we'll see the follow through to that in a later scene. I thought that was much more telling about um, how much they know or how much he knows about Elliot, that then, you know, Joanna obviously knows she met Elliot the one time last season, but it seemed, I didn't realize that she was the one covering up for him. And it has to have been Tyrell that had talked to her about this, or he's got to be involved more with Joanna than we know of. Definitely. Yeah, the fact that he said some scrawny kid. Well, he saw him. He saw him coming out and talked to him, but. So he's he's assuming that it is more for him, and we're going along with that. Mm-hmm. Although we know from Joanna's point of view, the reason she could be protecting Elliot is just by extension to keep right. Tyrell out of danger. Right. You know, if he's in danger, then if society's in danger. So it, it's all tied in in a way that this poor guy, Kareem, has no idea. Okay, now we go to the E-Corp building where the Fed floor is being housed. So essentially they've come in and just taken over a whole floor of this building, correct? That got me thinking too. I was like, what is E-Corp? They have a whole floor in E-Corp, this, uh, the FBI? 
What did you guys get from that scene? Darlene said it before that that's what Angie would have to do. And I was like, go up to the 23rd floor. I'm like, why are they there? But I guess because it's such a huge hack that and fuck up that they've destroyed all this stuff that they needed to be investigating at the scene. Right. Like this is their headquarters now for this entire project. Exactly. I, I agree. Ground zero. Yeah. So they've moved in and taken over this whole floor, although... Uh, nobody's doing a very good job with it. The first thing she says is that they need to tighten up security. She kicks some guy out that's not supposed to be on that floor. We can clearly see this is where the flaw is going to be, that they're going to be able to exploit by Angie coming in there. Well, I thought it was now that that she's, that DiPiero is going to notice someone who's not supposed to be there at all times. So I saw that as being a DiPiero is going to find out about Angie. She's going to know that there's something going on. That could definitely work both ways. Although, I mean, Angie does work there. There's ways she might get around it. It depends how slick she goes through with this. Right. But is there, are there security cameras there? Well, I would think that there are security cameras on there also. So if they, if she's got to drop some, like she, I mean, Darlene always uses a USB stick, just drops it somewhere. Yep. But, I don't think there'd be any chance of DiPiero putting it into a machine that had access to anything. I think she would put it on like a brand new, never been connected to anything computer and see what was in it. Yeah, this is going to be tricky. We're going to have to see what their plan is to infiltrate. Well, she talks to a friend of hers. I didn't get this woman's name. Did any of you guys? I don't even know if they mentioned it. Um, Later, maybe. She talks about being in the middle of the hard drive reports that came back from forensics. And she goes on to discussing a dream she had again. Not sure how much significance this is supposed to have. But she says she was walking down a steep hill. And at the bottom was the same man again from previous dreams wearing a surgical mask just staring at her. And we know that's going to kind of happen later on. Foreshadowing? Yeah, so it could be. DiPiero says she doesn't dream. Obviously, she doesn't even sleep. And the friend talks about being excited to go to China. So I think this is where we realize that it's sort of a larger trip that these FBI people are all going on. Right. And the last thing she says is that they have ongoing surveillance on Joanna. Nothing big, and it's hard to track people in New York, but it is official. They are following her. Right. So that guy's right. I mean, she's right. Uh, They didn't say that they were following Kareem. No, but But they could be. Right. If they're meeting together. But I thought it was uh, important that, well, I don't know if it was important or not, but she just said that she doesn't dream uh, DePiero. Yes. Uh, And... She doesn't sleep though. She she's an insomniac, right? She we've seen her. She she doesn't get any sleep. I don't know if that was maybe that one time, but it seems like they were saying that she doesn't sleep at all, and that would be why she doesn't dream. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if she's sleeping, she's getting very minimal sleep, so that would certainly explain it. I'm wondering how she even functions at the level that she is. To be honest right. with you, yeah. Okay, then we go to. A more interesting scene in Elliot's place. We'll just keep calling it that until we have confirmation where he is. His mom's house. His Mm -hmm. mom's house, potentially. (laughs) Uh, He's talking to Darlene. She is wearing red yet again. 
And we see behind Elliot as he's sitting an interesting painting on the wall that's become topic of conversation for this episode. It's a person in a field or maybe not. There's a white blob in a field. It's hard to see behind Elliot. If you do, in fact, pull up the actual painting that we believe this is taken off of, it's a Van Gogh. Van Gogh. <laughs> and it's called Wheatfield with Crows. You can see three roads, one diverging to the left and right that sort of cut off on the painting, and one in the middle that seems to lead to nowhere, and then fields of wheat behind it and a night sky. However, in the Van Gogh painting, there are black crows. I thought for certain that there were white crows, so we went back and we paused it, and it is. What do you make of the subtle change of the painting here? They're doves. That they're doves? Yeah. Well, what would be the significance if there's black crows in Van Gogh's and then Sam Asmel puts the same painting but with white crows? Or I thought you said you saw a person in the field or something in his in that one. In like, the one in the TV, on this, on I the thought I did, crow. but it could have just been that white blob that's in the background yeah, behind one of the crows. So a lot of the discussion around this work surrounds the symbolism of it. Some people are talking about how this was Van Gogh's last piece of artwork that he created prior to his death and that it was seen as a sort of suicide note. However, that's a popular myth. This was not, in fact, his final work. And he expresses mixed feelings about it. In a letter that Van Gogh wrote himself, he describes this was actually one of three paintings he made that the vast fields of wheat are under troubled skies. He did not need to go out of his way to express the sadness and extreme loneliness, but he hopes that this person will see them soon because the canvases will tell them what he can't say in words, the health and restorative forces that he sees in the country. And basically that he's feeling better. So if you look into this painting, you have three roads, which in art therapy, the left one would be leading to the past, the right to the future, and the one in the center would be the present. And it leads to an area unknown. So you could actually look at that as a positive or a negative thing. There are troubled skies in the background. And in his image, there are black birds, which are sometimes thought of as harbingers of death when people talk about artwork. Well, right. that's kind of another bit of a myth. But if they are portrayed here as white, maybe we're looking at it as more positive. Right, yeah. But breaking down uh, Van Gogh picture more he uh the road in the middle which is the present um it's leading to a white shape in the sky mm -hmm. maybe a moon may not be but i think that is evident of something positive because mm -hmm. it's white amongst all the darker uh parts of the sky yeah and then well, also if it was black it would be negative I've been trying not to get a finger, but I'll, I'll hold my <laughs> Another interesting thing is the left road, which signifies his past, you see more of the that road. Yes. And then you see more of the mid road. But his future road, there's a lot less. You just see a part of it. So maybe he's having trouble seeing into his future. And these black crows are flying towards his future. Correct. There's only a few flying towards the past, more towards the future, which Jason knows from hearing me talk about this. That's why he brings that up. And in art therapy, birds are also a search for freedom, a desire to fly above your present circumstances. 
So it was just a quick thing that was shown behind him, but it has sparked a lot of debate and discussion because we all believe that Esmail does not put things in with no purpose. And to focus in on this painting that most people would recognize and eventually yeah. connect with, I think he meant to start this conversation. Yeah, and what's interesting is in the scene, it doesn't pop, obviously. He doesn't make it obvious. I didn't notice it. But I... You didn't notice it. I was going to say, uh, for some reason, my eye was drawn to it, mm. even though it's in a dark part of the room. Because it was right behind Elliot. Yeah. And for a quick second, it looked like the Scream painting. Right. But then the, the further we looked at it, uh, we could tell it wasn't. So he made it pop enough where some people would pick it up, but not too much where it was so obvious and in your face. Well, these are his Easter eggs, and we told you we'd talk about them. So yes. there's another one. Didn't we also say we wouldn't dig too deep into things? We said we would try. Help us. I mean, every other podcast is doing it. And when it comes to artwork, I just can't contain myself. Yeah, we're not saying it has anything to do with the, the main storyline. but I just like to be difficult. So. Well, in fact, people that were talking about it were connecting it to the storyline because they did see this as Van Gogh's suicide note. So they were wondering if seeing Elliot in front of it meant something for his future. But mm. that's why I bring it up because I think the color change... <coughs> I think the color change could signify him actually giving a more positive future towards Elliot. Hmm. Back in the scene, we see Darlene talking about how they need Angie. That physical security is madness with the FBI at E Corp now. It's a fortress there. There's no way in and they don't have any time. This is where Mr. Robot comes in and says that she's right. Angie is their only way in. But Elliot says she's not an option, that they need to figure something else out and make it happen. He says, I did my job. Now you do yours. This is like well, the most forceful Elliot is, is about anything, it seems like. I mean, other than him talking to Mr. Robot and trying not to have him take control. Uh, he's very stern in this, that... Angie is not, uh, we're not using Angie for anything. She can't be involved. She's off the table. I agree. I don't even feel like we, we did see him get super protective about Darlene, but not as emotional as he is in this moment. Right. Right. And I think that it's needed. Like, he wants to protect her from his world and all the craziness, but she's trying to find herself. She's an E-Corp, and she, she needs to be part of this new technocracy, this new technological world. Like, you know, it's already been seen that the FBI is completely overwhelmed. They're an E-Corp. Security is lax, and it allows for Darlene to feel that they can actually penetrate the FBI. Like, these are the people who hack the FBI. Everybody's going to be looking at them, but they feel that they're so far superior that they can actually go into the where the FBI is and penetrate with this because it's like this is the new way of doing it and we're we're totally far ahead of them. So Elliot's trying to protect her from that whole world, but it's like Darlene's insistent, this is what we need. His better part, his Mr. Robot for this sense, is saying, yes, that's our only hope. Her, the person who has not part of technology. The person who Elliot had to save in meetings with All Safe because she might not have known what she was talking about in season one. This is the person who they're going to send in to do this type of stuff, even if her work is going to be minimal. 
Well, and not for nothing, I know we don't see it in this scene, so I don't want to skip too far ahead, but eventually we do see Angie agree and want to take part in this. So how much do you think she's doing it for Elliot and because she does care about all of this? And how much is not she just all. doing it to save her own ass? Her own ass. Her own ass. Yeah, I, I, I kind of think so, too. She said no, she wouldn't do it. And then once her ass started, once she found a little bit more information, she's like, well, I got to yeah. act. Yeah, I agree. And I think a little bit of Elliot's uh, caring nature for her is is overreaching in this mm-hmm. moment. And he's going to get in trouble for the the love that he has for her. If they even find out, if he even finds out that she's helping them, because I don't think Darlene's going to say anything after True. that little talk they had. True. Well, now we go to a quick scene at the airport where DiPiero is going down an escalator and she sees first men in Halloween masks. So we froze this because at first we thought it was F Society masks, but it's not. Like red dragons or something. Yeah. Yeah. And behind that is a woman in a surgical mask. So this does, in fact, seem like her friend's dream almost Mm -hmm. coming to life. And I wonder if this was all just supposed to be foreshadowing of the danger that Dom is going into. This whole journey, every step she's taking is bringing her closer to trouble. Yeah. I mean, the guys in the mask turn and stare at her when she's looking at them. Yeah. So that would kind of make me a little nervous. But if I was staring at people in masks, I I guess if I was in a mask, I would stare back at them, too. Well, what did you see the mask mask they were just like Halloween masks, scary the masks. Characters? Dragons, it looked like. Because that's China, right? Like, yes. yeah, it's symbolic of, of China, right? Dragons, right? So. And they do were we, in China, yeah. Do we think these are actually the two guys that she'll be confronted with later on? Possible. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I thought a, they were a Dark Army at first. At I first, I did too. I don't remember if we saw anything like that in Dark Army. Remember when... In the first season, I thought someone was wearing a mask when they came up and, like, took Darlene in the first season. They put her in a limo or something or took her out of a limo. Yeah, I think we've definitely seen a lot more masks than just the F Society one throughout the whole of Mr. Robot. Well, now we finally go over to China and we see this major meeting taking place. We don't exactly know what it's about in the beginning, but then White Rose walks in in his persona of Mr. Zhang think that's what they're calling him it was hard to understand we know he's part of the government and mr santiago and his team are there apparently to visit all four sites in beijing's backup facility and he wants to be granted access to the encrypted e-corp servers all of these requests white rose readily agrees to yeah Mm -hmm. he's fine with that but then DiPiero speaks out of turn to say that they want to review all intelligence they have on the Dark Army because they're a known malevolent hacker group. And to this, she gets an extremely long and dramatic evil eye. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. What an evil eye. Uh, I think it, it goes to say, if you look at White Rose on the steps in the beginning of that scene, mm-hmm. very serious, and he composes himself, and then the smile. And then he puts on this front. Mask. This mask, exactly. Um, Again, everyone's wearing masks. Um, And then as he's doing this masked charade of, yes, anything you need, we're more than happy. Dominique, Dominique, Dom, um, speaks up out of 
turn. I don't know in China, is it still like women can't speak? I wondered about that for a minute too, but I don't think that's... That's why. It, it would have been a good cover up for Mr. Zhang. I think right. in the moment, in order to not blow up his own spot, he could have actually played on that. Now, it would have been looked down upon by us as Americans, but it still would have been more understandable. I can't fathom why he would make himself so exposed by doing that because his response to the dark army is clearly making everybody in that room wonder why didn't he react to anything else but he's reacting so strongly to this uh i don't think that's what they were they were wondering they knew when they started bringing up they're like we know this is a touchy subject and they're trying to be very like uh polite with it and then she just goes up straight up and just blah 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 and they know that it was it was rude well, yeah, but it also reveals a gigantic weakness on his part, which he, he seems to be the kind of person that keeps all of that very well in check. Why? Well, well, because he didn't answer right away? That stare, that death stare. It was like stare. a 30-second death stare. I think that, like what you said, is that he could have played it off, but I think he played it right. Like, that's the old way of thinking, and he knows that that's not acceptable anymore. So... He, st- he stared, but he didn't say anything to it. He made it known that that was not the right way because you can see her kind of realize she did yeah. something wrong. wrong. And uh, then he just answers the question after that. But I, it can, you're right. It can be taken one of two ways. It could be taken as that the old way or he was really unsure of how to answer that question. Yeah, I, I thought that it linked very obviously. It drew the link between him and the Dark Army. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's uh, to, to, to bring in my Christina Loman Gino here. It's uh, <laughs> what it is. It's like the disassociative, right? White Rose is not sitting at the table. The guy is. White Rose is the other person. Right. And when you're sitting at a meeting and you're focused, like making Mr. Robot and Elliot come together in a mm. meeting. Like if somebody asks for Mr. Robot who shouldn't know about Mr. Robot, here he is in character as this minister and you're bringing up something that might make him face you could bring up any other thing about yeah i'm gonna let you in because you know you're the minister of security but when they bring up something that you lead as a completely different personality and i mm-hmm. you know i seen it later on with how emotional he was getting right. when he had the scene with dom it's, yes it, it, it's another complete different personality and in the previous episode, it was spooky to hear his voice switch like that. Mm. So it, 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 it's like she brought something up and everybody's sensitive at the table. Also, because I believe like um, there's a good show um, called Cyber Wars that comes on on Viceland. China right now is hacking every private company in the United States. Right. Mm. And they're using their own military to do it to hack the United States and all these things. When the president meets, the pre- the president of the United States meets the president of China, it's a very touchy subject because it's not anything that he can publicly acknowledge. Right. But we know it's happening. And the United States does espionage, but that's between governments. But when you're hacking private businesses, stealing their intellectual property, it becomes touchy. So I think that politically, they're being hosted in China. People might know that there might be a linkage because I don't think that she's the only person who knows that they want to see that. 
but that is out of turn. The minister is letting us in into certain things, and here she is opening her mouth, showing the cards. So you think that some of the other people there might know that White Rose is in some way connected to the Dark Army? They're just not saying anything? Well, I believe that they think that China has something to gain from some hacker group in China that's infiltrating the United States banking system because China owns so much of the United States. Right. want to bring it into a little bit of the reality. So there has to be suspicion, just like she's not, she can't be the only one in the FBI a little bit suspicious because they're uncomfortable. She said, we, like, we want to see this. So obviously this has to be a discussion, but the fact that they won't bring it up and then she speaks out of turn, it's like, whoa, hold on. We we will get to that, but you can't do that. That's a little bit out of turn, you know? That's yeah, what I think and, it looks like mm-hmm. that. In fact, I think she knew less than everybody else in the room in that moment, and she didn't even know how far she had overstepped until this look was shot. And then I also think that this 100% put this on White Rose's radar, and that's why we see him cozying up to her later because she's going to be in deep trouble. She is the one who's going to push buttons, and he can't stand for that. You stole my fire. That's what I was going to come in with. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got something else? Well, that's what I was going to say. I don't want to repeat it. But essentially, that look was... Because we, we know White Rose is probably the smartest person we've seen on screen so far. Mm. From day one, we knew that White Rose was going to be the shiznit. And also, from day one, we said this actor is awesome. And I'm glad there's more of him. So that pause was also letting us know, all right, so White Rose now knows... This chick, he's got to uh, pay extra attention to, and he does. Yeah. And we'll get to that. Yeah, he gives her his most valuable, most valuable thing, which is time. Mm. Later oh, on, I yes. know he's not even checking it that whole time. It's amazing. All right, we'll we'll get um, there. <laughs> one more thing, I just started up the USA Network uh, broadcast again, and in the previously on Mr. Robot, the first scene is of two guys in dragon masks in the limo. And then they cut to something else. Oh. Okay. So it probably so was the, a dragon. It's definitely the dark army. Nice. Okay. Well, headed back over to the synopsis. Now we have a short scene at Joanna's house where the male comes in and she gets a bag with a silver baby rattle and bow. Very old school looking um, baby rattle. It's got no message, no name on it. But she smiles and gives us a look like we interpret she thinks it's from Tyrell. Yes. Correct. And that's pretty much the end of that scene. I don't know who else it would be from if it wasn't from him. White Rose? Maybe the other guy that she's seen? No. Looks very expensive, though. No. Yeah, I think we got several just tip-offs in this episode, and we'll go back to her in a moment about Tyrell coming back on the scene without seeing him. But first, we're kind of interrupted by another scene where we're outside at the basketball court. And Ray and his dog are meeting with Elliot. In the background first, we see that woman lighting the fire in the red wheelbarrow. Yeah. So she's back. That symbolism is back. If you pause that frame, it looks like a mental institution and they're outside. It just looks like it. You see the people around. uh, It just... Especially her. Screams it. Yeah. Right? And what is up with Ray and his dog? He's talking to the dog like he thinks it's dying. Yeah, it was laying down. It wasn't moving. Even Elliot says, oh, what's wrong with her? But then he doesn't answer. Yeah, and then he says to the dog, like, don't make me think the worst or something along those lines. 
I wasn't sure why they would put that in there. I don't know. I, I'm I'm starting to think that this dog represents his last connection to things that are good. Hmm. His wife gone, then he still talks to, trying desperately to hold on to her. And now if the dog goes, I, I think it's really going to kind of push some buttons for this guy. We're learning more and more that while he seems to be very put together in front of everybody, there is a lot more going on with him. And we'll get into that later. But for now, Elliot says that he can't do it. He can't do what Ray's asking him without access to the database. So despite a little bit of a struggle, Ray eventually says that he'll have RT stop by and give it to him. I don't understand why Elliot needs him. He can break through anything. Why can't he break through into the database? He doesn't need him. That's, I think that too. I think he yeah. just needs to see what's going on. He needs to find out more. He wanted any info. He, into. he wants to peek behind the, the curtain. Okay, now we come to one of my favorite scenes in this episode because she's just such a weird chick. I know that in listening to a lot of reviews... People are mostly frustrated with the Joanna scenes. They think they're the most boring. They don't really like them. I'm actually super intrigued by them. And yeah. especially here, we get a peek inside her psyche. Uh, she's talking to her bodyguard, who is increasingly more and more weird to me. We've talked a little about who this guy is and where he's come from. The level of things he is willing to do for her are starting to really add up that I don't think he's just a paid hand. Yeah. Uh, he says he tracked the rattle package to the post office, but there's no footage, so he can't follow it. His contact is attempting to trace the phone call so they can figure out, I guess, she also believes it's Tyrell, and they want to know where he is. She asks about Kareem now, and he says he did as she asked. Basically, it's a framed burglary. The cops are likely to go after an ex-con who lives on his floor because he has a record. And when we find out that he did, in fact, kill Kareem. She asks him to tell her about the death. He walks through step by step that he injected him with a medicine called acetylcholine. And for those of you who aren't familiar, it basically does exactly that. It completely paralyzes the person. They cannot move at all. They can barely even breathe. But I do believe they can still feel things. The reason that they did it this way, it would appear there was a struggle. He pulled his gun in self-defense, but the attacker got to him first. Joanna questions, did he look at you? The guy says yes, so why drug him? What is the point? Why did you have me do that to him? She says, killing a man instantly robs him of explanation. He has no time to process his final moments. His mind was still able to understand why his life was ending, so you let him die with answers. Otherwise, we're nothing but ruthless murderers. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> Poetry. Yeah. She is completely Psycho. out of her mind. <laughs> we knew she was crazy the last season, too. She's got, dark, she's got a dark side to her, man. And it's obvious that that uh, scene last episode where she's in bed and she's like, I don't care about money anymore. It's obvious that that's not the real her. This is this crazy the chick. Real is her the real is her is twisted. She had this guy drugged so he wouldn't be able to move or fight back, but could see and feel everything that was happening to him. There's got to be no greater terror. Is she royalty in some sense? I feel like I got that from an earlier episode, right? I Maybe got that she just feeling feels as well. Better than everyone. Like, there are people beneath her don't matter. So well, she doesn't really. 
mind it, you know, yeah. killing anyone. I get that feeling, too. And I don't think he's necessarily crazy because, you know, Elliot talks to his dead father who's not there. But she's very calculated in what she wants. She's very manipulative to everyone that she's around. Right. This is this 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 sociopath type of thing, I guess. And like, is she the one who really pushed Tyrell to do to really go for the position? Yes. In E Corp. Right. So he and and once again, it goes back to what I was thinking about technocracy back in the day. When you look at old movies or anything, the fight used to be I want to be the CEO. I want to be in this cutthroat business of banking. I want to be the top. Mm -hmm. He was a senior vice president of technology and she's pushing for him to be the chief technology officer as though that is the highest position, even though you got all these bankers and everything out there and she pushed them into this thing and someone the the CTO's wife ended up getting killed because of it. Like these are things that used to happen for the itself in the face because of this, talking to himself in the mirror. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. These are the things that used to happen for rise and power for the banking and CEO, and it's all about technology. It all goes back to, oh, CTO, like someone's being strangled for you to be the CTO, and it's like she is in the background manipulating Tyrell and telling him, oh, you've got to fix it. So I get this more controlling, calculating, someone who fits into this whole power vacuum like a major player i totally agree and i wonder so did she know that he was going to go over and start working with elliot and did she push that push the association for that reason and is that why she continues to borderline protect elliot because she thinks that this is the way to get there it's very confusing how this all ties in when you look at Tyrell and Elliot's relationship and that's one thing that we still have not learned anything more about this season right yeah I want to know because of uh, what you guys brought up that I never thought of is that this skinny kid because it was confusing to me I'm like no he doesn't know Elliot and it's to protect the skinny kid in the hoodie but I'm like that can't be coincidence but my whole thing is I don't know if she she never had a conversation with Elliot, right? Maybe not. No, she did. She did yeah. on the street that day when oh, he yes. came looking, and she also made it seem like they had met before, and she remembered it, yes. but Elliot didn't. So I think they had met prior to that when he was Mr. Robot at some point. That's what I was about to say. Mr. Robot is a completely different person than Elliot as far as his confidence, as far as his power, and how he presents himself. Because when he was in the car with Tyrell, the conversation that he had and how he dominated that conversation was completely different than the timid Elliot, who's a little bit afraid of Tyrell because he's unpredictable. Yeah. You got, you got Mr. Robot. So I'm like, Mr. Robot would be the perfect person who, who I think she would respect. Yes, 100%. He's in the technology world, but he does not play games at all. Like, Mr. Like Mr. Robot is willing to do what it takes and doesn't care. He's just about getting things done which is more like what she's like so when she looked at him in that scene it looked like he was like wait a minute this is not the same person yeah so let me not say too much because this is not the same person i think she i agree that she caught on to that real quick and she is protecting elliot quote unquote because she needs mr robot and she knows tyrell needs him too well now Maybe we go it's just that he's the only one that knows anything about tyrell that could she also be know. too 
Now we go to a bar with sort of a strange scene where Angie meets with her old boyfriend, Ollie. He talks about how this is their old spot where he first said, I love you. He's bringing up all this supposedly sentimental stuff. She's giving him a look that I feel is reflecting the audience's look at him. What are you doing back on the scene? Like, we're all over you. We're all past this Ollie business. Why is this coming back now? And we find out very briefly into this. Well, first he asks her if she misses all safe. She does admit to that and to missing Gideon, strangely enough. It was a little bit of a human moment peeking through for her. He also says he heard about the shooter and that they were crazy. Could have been that he was a 5'9 truther, quote-unquote, or a crisis performer with a put-on. Very interesting, just these little bits of information we get. But he finally asked, did you ever think the CD had anything to do with it? That all safe was ground zero. This is when he very unslickly yes. puts the phone down. She knows right it. away that he's trying to record her. And Did he put the phone down? I thought he just looked at it. No, he no, put it on the like, desk. He right literally there. set it down and then oh. glanced down at it and back up at her. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. Um, she then throws it into the cup, right? Right yeah, into well, the yeah. drink. And finds out, yeah. Well, she lifts it, looks at it, sees that he's mm-hmm. recording. And asks him if he's working with the FBI as well, to which he says, no. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I so He am. says no a lot, and then <laughs> she, like, badgers it out of him. And he's like, no, I'm not talking to them. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he also says he didn't give them up. Didn't give her up. He said that he told them about the guy with the CD that they got the CD from. Right. So I guess they assume that he put it into his work office trying to listen to some music. I guess. And that's what happened. He right? made it seem like the two of them were innocent. Right. But I don't think they're that stupid that they're going to buy that. No. But this is the scene that makes her rethink what Angie said to her. Yes. A but I love how they, they prove that he's an idiot because he gives her his resume. Uh, like in this thing like, <laughs> oh... Like, we're having, like, look at all these great memories we have. Oh, here's my resume. Maybe you can get me a job at E-Corp. I know. It was so bizarre. <laughs> the whole scene was very strange. It seems like if your name is Ollie in popular TV shows, you're yeah. just a shit. <laughs> Bottom line. Kill all Ollies, right? All right. Now we go to China, where we see the night of this big reception. This is an amazing sequence of events. It starts out with Dee Piero looking for the bathroom. Well, she has some interactions with her friends first. They don't really understand the culture, what they're doing there. But anyway, then she goes off on her own. She gets lost and stumbles upon the clock room. Mm. Incredible. Clocks everywhere. White Rose comes in. and He has a quote. He says, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. This actually comes from a quote from Macbeth, Act 5, Scene 5, I, five I found out, and the rest of it goes, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. To that, Dom says to him, you've surrounded yourself with a constant reminder of mortality, And she's kind of right, but he replies, there is great work to do, and I push myself to keep moving. What did you think about these first interactions between the two of them? This was his first steps in disarming her. Mm. And you saw, I even wrote in my notes, 
Dom uh, Clockroom. Dom looks rocked. I've never seen her this rocked. She's normally the one that's, you know, pushing the narrative and, and in control of the scenes. And he just quickly and very smoothly get, gets control of the conversation, disarms her, and slowly starts to maneuver into this further scenes that we see. Well, he already disarmed her in the the scene before with his silence. Yes. She, once she got taken aback by what he said, like, oh, did I misspeak or something? He already had her then. Well, he had her in a different way then. He had her in a uh, respect me type way. What I mean by disarm in these scenes, following scenes, including this one in the clock room, is that he's disarming her emotionally. Emotionally, yes. And, um, and I guess professionally. The do- those doors he's opening. She's intrigued by him. She's not right. just intimidated by his power. Right. Now she's also intrigued with what his backstory is. I mean, this is fascinating. She's walked upon this room. It clearly means a lot to him. She, uh, nor anybody else, was ever supposed to see it. Yeah. So she's already gotten this brief but important glimpse into mm-hmm. his inner world of who he is. Yeah. And I think that temporarily makes him a bit uncomfortable and he needs to take back the power and control because immediately following that is when he brings her back into the other room and starts probing her at how she wound up in the FBI in the first place. He wants to know more about her now. So let's right. balance out the scales and make you open up a bit. And It's interesting because she says she was disgusted and fascinated by the selfish brutality of the world. They also talk about the painting Mm -hmm. here in this scene. Before we go to that, in the last scene, did you see the time? It was almost midnight. Almost midnight, right? Yeah, it was 10 10 to midnight. So this whole thing that they go through is only 10 minutes of his time. I thought it was interesting that he gave her a full... 10 minutes. 10 minutes. That's a lot for him, and it didn't even yeah. seem as though he was timing it. Right. I mean, the, the clocks do go off it. eventually, but yeah, he wasn't checking the time at right. all. I'm sure he knows that all his clocks go off at midnight. Well, yeah, but meaning because <laughs> he always looks at the time whenever you right. see him as White Rose. Yeah, it was unlike him. I think he was actually fully engaged in this present moment yeah. by her. Definitely. He had to be. He knew that she was going to be the uh, power that she'd have he'd have to control or mm-hmm. get insight on. Also, something important about the clock room, um, an analogy that I have is if you think of... Think of uh, a fairy tale or something that's not real life and it's a bad guy or it's a good guy and you, you find your way into their heart. Like you're what makes them beat or Mm -hmm. what makes them tick. And essentially that room is white Rose and whatever his real name is. That's his heart. They meet in his basically like what's beating, what makes him tick. So that, I think that's very important. Well, it's interesting you bring up fairy tales because a lot of people have also brought up the 12 o'clock midnight thing as being a part of a lot of stories like that as well. Kind of changing back to, Another oh, persona, right? Yeah, right. Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. But uh, the Macbeth phrase, the quote. Yes. It seems like he's talking about the futility of life. That there, ha- there is no meaning to things if you take the full quote with the idiot, full of sound and fairy, signifying nothing. Yep. I don't know. It almost goes against himself, 
Or is he just saying, because he's trying to make these changes, or he's saying it doesn't matter, so you can do whatever you want? I think he's saying that because he sees that in her. Because then she talks about the selfish brutality of the world. And when they talk about the painting, they talk about how the artist strives to reflect desolation that accompanies the loss of identity. And that also kind of goes back to the Van Gogh painting earlier. And that's Mm -hmm. why I bring that up. A lot of analysis of that painting goes to Van Gogh didn't know who he was. He was striving to find his identity, never could, couldn't find his purpose. Everything felt very futile. And that's why he wound up committing suicide. So... I think that he sees a bit of this in her and he's playing to that in this moment. Oh yeah, definitely. In an effort to get her to open up more. And she does go on to tell a little bit of this story about in college, she ran from a marriage proposal. She was supposed to be a lawyer and I guess she would have had this, you know, quote unquote, great life. And now she's just a field agent. She makes it sound like nothing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, it's important what he says before that. Like, right before she goes into that story, mm-hmm. they're talking about the painting. She says, how is it that revolution could create such beautiful art? But you and I are chasing revolutionaries who created nothing but turmoil. To which he responds, there's more to the story. And she says, I'm sorry? Like, does he know more about what's going on with them? And he says, about why you became an FBI agent. It's like he covers himself mm-hmm. or he's trying to tell us that there's more to the story, even more than the, the turmoil that F society has created. There's more behind even that, behind the whole, that doesn't have to do mainly with F society, that has to do with him and the dark army or whatever they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Their bigger cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to so their techno- technocracy or whatever DeMoss said. Te- uh, technocracy. <laughs> think that even with the clocks like when i looked it up and even from what i know the chinese have a lot of respect for time Mm. like you want to piss off chinese businessmen show up late to a meeting they're (laughs) always early punctuality is very important they really in that culture respect time and they don't respect it just in the sense of being on time or being late they're very patient and this is what i see from him because dark army hasn't revealed anything yet Chinese people look at things in terms of dynasties sometimes, like setting things up for a long future. And they can look, they they view the world in this way of looking outwards and, and, and waiting for things to happen. And I, you can even see that, like, like bringing back up to what China is doing right now um, in cyber wars, which um, one of the guys asked them, is China hacking U.S. businesses as a precursor to them trying to take over the economy? He says, no, they're already doing that. You're just not seeing anything because they're very patient. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what you're seeing from the Dark Army. Everybody's like kind of showing their hands, Darlene's blowing up money or burning money. But the Dark Army's in the background and we're wondering what the hell is going on. And here you got this man in the center of it not saying anything and already trying to get in the head of the FBI agent who might threaten anything speeding up or any type of changes. So I I think their interaction is very important in that sense when it shows the patience and not just how much he values his time. Well, I agree. But my question there then becomes, 
it did seem like that's what he was trying to do and feel her out and expose maybe her flaws. This is like Elliot, again, back to the step one, know your enemy or know your target and identify its weaknesses. And he was trying to pull that out of her. And I thought he's doing that either so he can eventually have control over her and a way to exploit her, or maybe he wants to, to bring her into the fold because she doesn't have her own purpose and she does see all this as meaningless and he could open her up to this greater thing. And, and Ryan had talked about that last time. Could she be brought over? Right. Um, and at that point he was thinking F society, but you know, then I wonder why we wind up in the place we do later where it looks like essentially just a hit was put out on her. It makes right. me question the whole validity and purpose of this scene and these intense interactions was White Rose just opening up to her because he knew he was going to have her killed and this would be the last interactions and so it was safe to tell her things about himself and to have her do the same? Well, we don't know definitely that that's White Rose's army, but we do think it is, right? Right. But not to get into that scene too too quickly. I was trying to see why are we seeing this this super calculated person, White Rose, open up so much mm-hmm. right i mean showing the closet we yep. haven't gotten to that scene yet either yeah that's but nice. uh there's got to be a reason to go along with what you're saying there's got to be a bigger reason yeah and also a bigger reason to what she reveals so her big story is supposed to be about running from this marriage proposal and winding up as a lowly field agent and it did seem in the beginning of our introduction to dom that she was higher up as part of this Um, field office and running this investigation though this episode has kind of shown that she's she's sort of mid-level she's really not in charge she has superiors that she's answering to and she even the way she sees herself is oh i just wound up as a field agent but there's clearly so much more to her story of her past and running from that proposal running from this relationship this is only the tip of the iceberg we didn't really even learn much from her by her telling us that. So I'm not sure where they were going with, with that. But I think they're, well, they show that she's so much smarter than all of her FBI counterparts. Almost too much smarter. They kind mm-hmm. of make a joke out of everyone else mm-hmm. that's there, that they don't know how to do their jobs basically the entire time, and she's the only one that knows what she's doing. I think it's a little bit of overkill because, I don't know, I don't want all the FBI to seem like idiots. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what do you make of her story? I don't know. I wasn't too... It didn't seem too, like... There was, like, nothing there, I ran from right? a wet, I ran from a marriage. Uh, so <laughs> we did have a, a writer, a listener, rather, write into us to say that this might have been a bit of a... more of a deep look into the psyche of DiPiero. Mm-hmm. And wondering if we're going to see some of that manifest. Perhaps it's something like Asperger's going on with her. Right. That Mm. she has a lot of difficulty connecting or maintaining relationships. She doesn't have very good social cues. She's a little bit awkward when it comes to that and oversteps bounds. We've seen that she has difficulty with intimacy, that she's doing that through technology. I'm not sure if she falls somewhere on the spectrum. I think it could be possible based on some of the symptoms that we do see with her. But I think primarily the point of this was to reinforce that she does miss some of these social cues. Like she should have picked up on some of the things that White Rose was pushing in this interaction and she didn't. She just kept talking to him. And at one point I think she even says, I don't know why I'm telling you all of this. I love the 
awkward silence that they leave after that. She says she talks about that, and then it kind of the scene dies. And there's at least three or four seconds where they're just kind of looking at each other. Mm. So there's an awkward silence there, and then they move on to the next scene. But I do get that she's a little socially awkward in in how she reacts, and she just lets these things happen, or they just put that to amplify that. that yeah, that was one awkward. of our first scenes with her, right? In that little 7-Eleven type convenience store talking to the cashier yeah. and just rambling and everybody else mm-hmm. looking at her like, what are you doing? She just <laughs> couldn't quite get it right ever. Yeah. Right. And now, yes, is the critical moment where he takes her to show her the closet of fine kimonos. And as much as he's working her over in this whole scene, I think that he actually had a moment where he exposed himself genuinely as well. Have you ever wondered how the world would look if the 5-9 hack never happened? How the world would look right now? In fact, some believe there are alternate realities playing out that very scenario. With other lives that we're leading. Other people that we've become. The contemplation moves me very deeply. Where he connected to her in a way, looking at those dresses and was almost overcome with the emotion he was feeling. And he quickly then says, oh, but they belong to my sister. I think he almost even wanted to tell her the truth. And I think was so too. testing her. He was talking about how... Have you ever wondered how life would be if the five nine never happened? Mm. And it seemed like that was just after he reveals this stuff. And it's there are different realities yes. about who the people they could have been or should have been, um, and how he really wanted. It seemed like he wants a different life. Like he was regretting this thing that happened that he had a very big part in which seems it seemed odd from the way he he had been dealing with um who's the head of e corp i forget his name price yes mr yeah. price so he he still is very much involved in what's going on but he seems like he almost regrets how it how things are turning out well yeah there's this other alternate reality where he could have been this person where he was the woman that he was supposed to be where he lived the life that he wants to live i actually read a great quote on newyorktimes.com by sean collins where he's describing this he says if you've ever been momentarily overcome by the profound power of a beautiful impossible ideal You'll recognize its effects etched into the actor B.D. Wong's face and echoing in his quavering voice. On Mr. Robot, even supervillains suffer. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So I thought that was phrased perfectly to express what's happening with him here and that ideal that he's so taken by in looking at those kimonos and the life that he could have in some other world and then realizing that he can never have that. And he even says the contemplation is so moving. And I think he was looking at her, sort of testing those waters. You know, do you have secrets and do you wish there was another life you were living and trying to form that? And it just missed. They formed that momentary connection and then the clocks chimed and it was all 
brought back to reality. You know, yes. 12 o'clock, turned back into a pumpkin. The magic of this moment is over. And it, 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 it almost seems like Dom is the only person that doesn't have a duality. Like, she's awkward at home. Everywhere she goes, it's just like this one thing. Like, Elliot is two completely different people, right? Mr. Mm -hmm. Robot. But so is White Rose. White Rose, right? Two completely different persons. Angela is supposed to be changing the world. In this season, she's some corporate pantsuit wearing chick who <laughs> almost forgot about all the things she was complaining about, the people who killed her parents. She is a complete different person. Darlene, I used to think, was just this crazy woman, but she's the leader of F Society without yeah. Elliot's presence. She was this whiny little thing when I thought Mr. Robot was a separate person, but no, she's in complete control. But So it seems that there are dualities that everybody's struggling with. White Rose was the most vulnerable I've ever seen. And, you know, the, the scene before where he turned to the woman and then he was on the phone, on the phone as a man at the same time mm -hmm. was amazing to me that he can hop in and out of those characters. But like you said, it's it's a suffering. He is really two separate people. Mm. And maybe he is going through something like what Elliot is going through, where Mr. Robot wants something completely different than what Elliot wants. Sure. Although there's sometimes a commonality in what they both want, but it is a struggle to be vulnerable and in power. And I don't know who White Rose gets to be vulnerable with ever in his life playing these two powerful roles who does he ever get to express himself this wasn't some hacker who's hacking time or minister this was a woman showing off dresses to another woman yeah and i wonder that's that's perfect because i do wonder if it was something about dom in that moment that he felt able to express that to in that way or if it was because he knew she wouldn't be around much longer, so she was safe to talk to. Her, his, right. his, her secrets were safe with Dom, and that's really sad and dark if that's the case. Uh, but I could see both being equally possible, and given the fact that she does make it out of that, I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation. It must be extremely hard, though, for White Rose to be transgender in China, to have this... Oh, yeah role uh, as being the a top level have a lot of power and then feeling like a woman inside but not being able to express it and sh i mean i would think shaming in that culture not that i know that much about the culture but i know that for a long time they valued men's lives over women's lives yeah but then when you see white rose with elliot it is a woman and she commands this power in right. the dark army oh, as yeah. this transgender woman like there's all this in america right in america and that that's what i mean with the duality and that's why dom is so weird like she's so out of place because she's like the only one even like what you with jason like what you were saying about tyrell's wife she said she didn't care about money and yet you've seen her in a scene willing to throw her husband under the bus for money right then you've seen her telling her boyfriend she doesn't want money yeah. Right. You can't. So everybody has this duality. It seems like it's like everybody. Everyone's has wearing this, a mask. Yeah. yeah. And but they they're dealing with it, though. It's almost better than Elliot is. It's not disassociated. It's yes. all together dealing with it. And like when, you know, you look at White Rose to be a powerful. She's powerful in both realms. Right. 
as yes. a male and as a female. And that's why that scene bugged me out. The two times I seen her when he, she got off the phone in the other episode and the but voice was changed. a completely different woman. Yeah, how like, she was in America. In America, she was like subservient in China as a woman. Yeah, like so, the voice she was answering to someone so yeah. soft, and then yet you see it. But that, that I think that that was the best scene in this episode was when he was she was opening up to Dom because yeah, like it freaked me out completely. Yeah, uh, I think also what they are saying is everyone has masks. Everyone has this duality that you were saying, Jamal. But and they can deal with it pretty seamlessly. But when the logic bomb hits, it's what decision do you make off of that? Right, and even if we look at Tyrell, right? Tyrell's a gay man, right? That's oh, a I don't know if he's gay. I don't know if that's. I think he. I didn't see him being gay in that. I saw him doing what it takes to get what he needed. He I'm wasn't gay. He didn't. It didn't seem like he enjoyed that in the first season. It seemed like he was like, clean up your after yourself. Like, I'm done with it. This is what I have to do to get close to the CEO. Or I maybe just to- open and fluid. Right. Um, and, and along those lines, just I, this is being brought up. And I, I didn't really pick up on this, but I think it's worth putting out there because so many people are talking about it, that when she did discuss the marriage proposal, she used pronouns such as they and them instead of specifically saying he and she. So was she trying to open up that secret and White Rose picked up on that? And that's why he thought it was safe to kind of open that door and show her the dresses. But when he didn't get any further response, that was shut down in a way. I see. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. And I I don't know, you know, how true that is, but it could be. So who is the guy that she was masturbating with? Well, we don't know, just an online presence, and it did have a male name, but we right. don't know she could be doing that online. Right. It's technology. Right? So it could be anything, any gender you want it to be. I know, but if it has a male name, unless you get, maybe she got pictures, but you would think. <laughs> you would assume. Or yeah. she's fluid as well. A Dom could be a, a male name also. Jason called it Dominic before, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have just a few more scenes left. One is at Elliot's place, where Angie finally comes to see Elliot. We get them on screen together again. She wants to do it. She wants to go through with this job. She says it's simple, and Elliot will make the evidence go away, after all, right? You know, she's questioning. She has faith in him. But he doesn't want her to risk it. She thinks it's act or wait to get caught. They don't really have a choice. And then she talks about missing him, that she's reached out to him many times and he didn't respond. She questions him about that, and he opens up in a big way here to say he's been thinking about the day after she found him in the cemetery where they were on the train platform, and she told him to take care of himself. And he wanted to be okay. He wanted to stop seeing Mr. Robot before he finally came and talked to her, but he's not. I miss you. You know that, right? I reached out to you so many times. And you kept saying no. Can I just know why? I keep thinking about that day on the train platform after you found me in the cemetery. Told me to take care of myself. I wanted to be okay. Wanted to stop seeing him before I talk to you again. 
and And my dead father's standing behind you right now. Robot's not gone, and he says, my dead father's standing behind you right now. I thought that was intense, because it, I think that's the first time we've seen Elliot speak about Mr. Robot to someone else besides us. Yeah, and blatantly so. Yeah, he's right behind you, or he's behind you right now. That's I think he talked to Krista, if you're still, he said he opened up to her. Yeah, but he never said it straight up like that. Yeah, even in a roundabout yeah. way. He, he said it in such a way that any person would probably be shocked by that. And I thought her reaction was great. She didn't even really flinch. She just says, I want to be your friend. If you need someone to talk to, I'm somebody that cares and I'm mm -hmm. here. And, you know, <laughs> I really just can't help it. Maybe it's my own suspicion of her but this whole entire time I was wondering is this genuine or is she working him over I can't even trust her relationship to him anymore yeah you know I got almost got that feeling out of Dom when she talked to White Rose that mm. is this just something she's saying to him or is this a real event or not did she make this up right but I, I can see that between between them because she just seems like such a different person now she doesn't seem to care about Anybody but herself. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, both their parents died, and she's working for the company that killed both of them. And it doesn't seem like she's making any steps towards. Well, she did. She got those two guys arrested with that information, but. But that was from the orders of the person who she's right. supposed to hate. She was this innocent girl with her hair down who was insecure about what she didn't know. Now she's Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Ear <laughs> slicked back like this is just it's amazing. Like and then that's that duality again. It's amazing the transformation she makes and just like you said, Christina, I don't know if I can trust her. I don't know. Like she's standing there in front of the crazy person and, and it's just like I think she can get to him to try to get what she needs because now she comes to see him. Like I don't know. I don't know if I can trust her. And I didn't notice this. I'm normally so good at picking up on the colors and the costuming. Somebody said that as the episode went along, you know, we've been seeing her wearing white this entire time, that she was wearing black. Wow. I didn't the notice. The oh. thing. And I don't know if that was here, but that would have been a big tip off if she finally did transform while in front of Elliot. They also talk about QWERTY, by the way. We were oh, wondering yeah. about the fish and where he was oh. and how he was doing. She's got him, and apparently he's getting fat, although still no word about the dog. Yeah, the dog is gone. I feel bad for the dog. Flipper, right? Yeah. Uh, now we go to a brief scene with F Society. I think it's their headquarters. I wasn't sure, but Tarlene is talking to that guy who we saw in, in the last episode or the one before um, about the federal bailout, and she's not going to be doing it. She wants to know or he wants to know, rather, why she's backing out of their biggest operation. Darlene wants him to lead the DC op and take the crew down to the Capitol, begin prepping, and act like a leader. Do we really understand what's happening here, or was this just They've supposed to be a... They've got a big, gigantic drone in the background that they're yeah, I did see that. playing around with. That's all I know, so mm. they're doing something with that. I don't know. Then we see Ray's office. Here comes the big moment of the episode. Elliot is logging in as caretaker, which I thought must mean something, the naming. 
He's with the original tech guy. Elliot thinks this guy knows what he's doing, so why did Ray come to him? And we see here that Elliot is, in fact, trying to get the truth out of him, find out what he knows. And he starts typing to him while they're staging these instructions in right. front of the muscle so right. that he won't realize what's going on. Jason and I were talking about how silly this is. Do they really think the guy doesn't know what they're doing? Elliot asks if the guy hurt him. And the guy looks at him like, really, is that what you're wondering about? Do you really not know what goes on on this website? That's the important thing. He says it's a tour hidden site, invite only, impossible to get an account. You do the math. This is where Mr. Robot comes in because he knows danger is coming. And he says, you just don't know when to stop. But Elliot can't help himself. He does go on to the site. It's called Midland City Anonymous Marketplace. Basically, it's a spot where you can buy anything. Drugs, underage women, guns. Hitmen. Anything you want. Um, the analogy is, is here and been made that it's like Silk Road. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who aren't familiar, you probably all are, but it's an online black market and the first modern darknet market. Best known as a platform for selling illegal drugs. As part of the dark web, it was operated as a Tor hidden service so that online users were able to browse it anonymously and securely without potential traffic monitoring. And same thing, that you can buy whatever you want. Yeah, human trafficking was the thing that he seemed to focus on. That's what really got him. And he thinks to himself, is Ray, if Ray is running the site, why would he bring Elliot in? If Ray is running the site himself, why bring me in? Maybe he doesn't know the evil that he's spreading. Maybe he has no idea what's on the site. Ray is protective, kind. Ray is dangerous, a criminal. Are those his two halves? Which side of him is stronger? Is he sinister enough to host the- Stop figuring this out. I want to know. You know. But you're going to ignore it. You want to know why? Because that's what we do. We're getting Ray being portrayed so differently. On one hand, this protective and seemingly kind person, and on the other hand, a dangerous criminal. And I think we've been wondering up until now, what is he about? I brought this up in last episode that I thought he was going to wind up being part of some sort of bigger malicious force. And now it seems like we've gotten the answer to that. We don't really know why or how he got involved in it, but he is running this crazy site. He did warn Elliot not to look at it. Mr. Robot tells him he already knows what's going to happen, but he knows he's going to ignore it. And Elliot says, I have to do this, basically. If Ray is guilty, he should destroy him, and he could help the people on that site. Mr. Robot tries to tell him they have other battles to fight, but it's no good. Elliot says a logic bomb explodes either at a set time or when a condition is there. He's there, and he can't deny it anymore. So now we see the two masks or the mask of Ray. You know, we wanted to like him. At least I did. He seemed to be doing good for Elliot. And the way he spoke was very intelligent, very sweet, kind of, for as sweet as a man can be. And uh, 
now, and we knew something's bad about this cat, obviously, because he beat up this other dude. But now we know Even exactly what that, it is. I feel like we knew that he was pushing Elliot to do something that he didn't want to do. Oh, yes. You know, right. so you knew that he was going to be, like, wherever he was going, it was going to be bad. You just didn't know how bad it was going to get to. Yeah, that was my concern in the last episode when we were talking about he needed to get on the network, he needed a computer, and, and I had said... Yes, but he is doing this at the risk of agreeing right. to raise demands <laughs> and getting caught up in something that's going to be too big of a risk. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he's really gotten caught here. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like if he is in this psych ward, it's not voluntary because he would probably leave at this point to use a real a terminal that was uh, less trouble. Yeah, I grappled with that because on one hand, you're right. But on the other hand, the amount of visitors that he's able to see um, and the fact that they are so easily able to get to him later, I don't I don't know. They're really making me wonder. What did he how does he know Elliot's the best? Did he say something like that? Like you're the best or something like that? Yeah, I thought you were the best. I thought you were the best. How does he know all of this stuff about Elliot? How does like. This is the F Society God, right? Who is shrouded in secrecy, right? How does Ray, out of all people, know this? And why does Elliot not question why he knows this? Did I miss something? Good question. He he was brought up on, well, oh no, the only thing that happened before was him destroying the servers. He didn't do anything. I mean, he worked for Allsafe. And then he was kind of moving up from there and... But no, none of that would have got out that he was proposed to by E Corp and Tyrell. Yeah, even right down to we said last episode that he seemed to know a lot of things about Elliot's psyche and how to push the right buttons with him. And we yeah. wondered if he'd spoken to Krista. He knew to play that God Prophet card to get mm-hmm. Mr. Robot to come out. Um, we talked about thinking that he could, in fact, be leading a double life and be this counselor or psychologist by day, and this is why he's so good at it, befriending Elliot, getting him to trust him and open up to him about these things so that he can utilize him. He has exposed Elliot's weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it seems that he had prior information on him, and he went after him with this specifically in mind. He's a dangerous when- man. So, yes, we do get this brief scene at Joanna's house where her phone goes off. She hears breathing and then notices the same sounds through the phone as outside of her house. The Uh, sirens going off. So she runs outside, yes, looking for Tyrell, but no one's there. So we all think that this is Tyrell on the phone? I don't know. I had questioned if it was Elliot or or Mr. Robot, rather, in the beginning communicating with her. This episode certainly led you to believe that it was more likely Tyrell. True. Right. I don't think it can be Elliot in this scene. Because mm-hmm. he is... He's in Queens or Brooklyn. Or you somebody messing with her and trying to get her out in the open and trusting and thinking it's Tyrell is a possibility. All right. It could be the FBI just trying to get her to spill the beans. Right. If she knows something. Yep. Well, we do see that there is a lot of paranoia and a lot of stuff like that happening. In the very next scene, we're on the city streets where Angie hails a cab, then changes to another cab, and then goes to the subway. She finally gets to Darlene, who opens the door and asks if she was followed, and if she took the route that Darlene told her to. 
she says she did. She left her phone at home. So there's a lot of precautions happening here until she finally brings her inside the building where we see the old F Society team is back together. Yeah. It, minus one particular dude. Romero. Yeah. yeah. But let the plotting begin. It's very interesting how these next few scenes mm. <laughs> uh, unroll. I mean, starting with this one, I feel like it goes back to Joanna and her saying, we let him die with answers. Okay. And in these next few scenes, they don't finish any of them. We don't know what happens next. We don't know how they end. <laughs> right. More or less. So like with this scene, we don't know what, what, like where this is going from this point. And in the, in the next two scenes also, we don't know how they end. I mean, I guess from the Elliot one, you kind of get where that one's going. But we definitely don't know where things are ending with the DePiro. We do assume, though, right, that both Dom and Elliot make it out of this episode well, a lot. They're main characters at this point. Elliot, definitely. Yeah. Speaking of that, the second to last scene is back in China where Dom goes downstairs. She's in the room. Things seem to be happening very mundane. And out of nowhere, two shooters come through the door, dressed in black with masks on. You actually can hardly see them at first. You you have to rewind or go in slow motion or pause because, as we said, it's almost first-person perspective from Dom's view. We are not seeing everything in the room play out. We're only seeing what she sees as she scrambles behind I don't know if it was a counter or a table or something. That's a bulletproof. But, yeah, yeah, she's safe behind there, apparently. Uh, It seems like almost every other person in the room dies. She pokes her head out to try to get a look. She ends up shooting one of the shooters in the leg, bringing him down, and then watches him kill himself. Mm -hmm. Which leads you to believe, is this mission so serious that he can't be caught alive? And if that happens, he has instructions to take himself out. Yeah, Well, he has to. If he's caught alive, it's by the FBI. And you've just killed a bunch of our people, so we're going to get answers out of you. Yeah. But there is not a moment's hesitation from him to do that. And she starts trying to shoot at the other. We have this moment where there's ringing in her ears. We can't really hear what's happening. And it just sort of ends, not knowing what happened to the other shooter or to her. Yeah. Right. That scene was great because we didn't... I mean, it was such a relaxed scene in the beginning. She's talking to that other woman. They're kind of nonchalantly walking, talking about the night before. She's like a bit hungover, yeah. right? They're like sluggish. About how the minister doesn't have a sister. Oh, did that, they say that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Yep. He says, she says, yeah, he told me that they were his sister's dresses, but he doesn't even have a sister. So she knew that somehow, Dom. She neither knew it after or knew it before and didn't say anything. Oh, that's interesting. And then uh, I'm going to get some coffee, and they're just walking up, and boom, 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 boom. I wound that like three times. Yeah. That was insane. It was too intense. It was very intense. It came out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, and then the camera starts to follow that intensity. You know, Sam Asmel could have done like these action pictures, action shots, where you're getting views of these people being shot and the Mm -hmm. people shooting, but instead he goes into this claustrophobic... Uh, first person, oh, well, no, second person view, third person view, but very close to 
Dom. Very close. Almost first person. Yes. And you experience the intensity of the scene without the visuals because mm-hmm. Dom can't right. see. So you hear the sounds. You hear the people dying. You hear the shots. It's more intense. You yeah, feel like you're her where you don't exactly know what's going on and you're, you're hiding for your life and you're peeking out as she goes to grab the gun and you're just thinking she's bound to get shot in this moment. Yeah. I have to take this moment to say that I have had heard other people speaking in a criticizing way about us fans Mm -hmm. that we had sort of gotten a little down on Mr. Robot for the first couple of episodes this season because it was long and seeming to drag out in places that there wasn't as much plot progression. And now we're so excited when an episode like this happens because what do we need shooting in constant spoon feeding of plot progression in order to be happy and I don't think that's the case in mm-hmm. in defense of us fans I think that we're a little more intelligent in what we like out of TV I don't think that I enjoyed this episode because there was more action necessarily even without this scene I was saying up until this point this was the best episode they'd had all season because it moved forward Mm -hmm. in so many ways we got certain answers but we also got a lot more questions we got interactions we've been dying to see like elliot and angie in the same place together this white rose and dom stuff was very intriguing and i felt like this was just the cap on that and like you say jason because of the way that it was filmed if it was just a shooting scene i don't think it would have been so captivating but it was experiencing that through her point of view it's beautiful. And I think that's true of the next scene as well. Your imagination can make it much worse than you could ever see something happening. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes like how I feel about the FBI, like what she originally said, like, oh, these guys, like the security is not even good here. It's like out with the old, in with the new. China's your host country where all these FBI agents get killed. It must mean that they're not even afraid or intimidated. I mean, the minister of security, this is the minister of security's watch. And you have our federal agents get ambushed and murdered while you're hosting, which would normally be an embarrassment for any country and would definitely make it seem like you were the guys who did it or something like. Well, and that's automatically what I assumed, that he had ordered the hit. White Rose. Right. Yeah. But what do you guys think? Do you think that he was responsible? I think he'd be a little smoother with it. It wouldn't be this obvious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it else. matters. That's what I mean. I don't think I don't think that the United States right now is not the power anymore. Like this is this is this is the new world. The FBI is outdated. They're they're the old they're Windows XP. Yeah, but I I also think it's important if you do still have people somewhat in control, like Mr. Price, like White Rose calling the shots, or if it is entities like the Dark Army and F Society that are completely going rogue and it's almost turning into anarchy. Mm -hmm. So if the Dark Army just decided, you know, these people are trouble, we got to take them out, then we're looking at a whole different world order than if you do have some semblance of people in power. Right. Thank you, Mr. Anti-America, Jamal. I like that analogy, Jamal. I mean, XP was great. (laughs) I really think that Windows needs, they need to make, we need to make Windows XP again. Yes, there we go. go. (laughs) Make XP great again? 
Windows great again. Make it again. Because it was the thing that everybody used, everybody got comfortable with, and then newer things started coming out that didn't seem as good, but Mm -hmm. it slowly started changing until it's the standard. Now nobody wants XP anymore, although it might still be around. It's slowly being eliminated completely. Mm -hmm. No more updates, no more support. Very vulnerable for attack. So now we go back to our last scene where Elliot's inside in bed and men come in to pull him out and drag him outside. Yeah, I thought that scene was very much like, it got me thinking about how Mr. Robot had tricked him originally before to got him to throw up the pills he had been taking to forget about Mr. Robot. Mm -hmm. It seemed like all of a sudden Elliot was in trouble and he was being pulled out, but it seemed like it came out of nowhere. It kind of made me wonder about this whole thing about him being in a psychiatric ward and if Mr. Robot is challenging him or changing his reality in more ways than we know about. Hmm. It's kind of a stretch to make up this entire scenario just to get him onto a terminal again. But it was it's definitely a way it could be going. We don't know how much oh. influence Mr. Robot has over him. And where was Mr. Robot in this moment? All seen, all episode long, he showed up when Elliot was in danger. Right. When there was a risk of things going too far. And this is certainly very much a danger to Elliot. So I was surprised to not see him there. But when the guys pull him outside, they say they couldn't trust the old tech guy, Mr. Rattail. And this is where we get kind of an uncharacteristically gruesome moment for Mr. (laughs) Robot. It was a little bit strange that we see this piece of hair connected to the bit of scalp. Yeah. And supposed to show us how brutal Ray is willing to be. But I was just kind of surprised. It was a little Mm -hmm. bit strange the way it was thrown in there. But Ray gets out. He tells Elliot, I told you not to look. And the guys start beating him up, at which point they sort of fade out and pull out of the scene. So it's Mm -hmm. the same thing where we don't entirely get to see all of what's happening as the viewer. Sam S. Neal, ruthless murderer. (laughs) (laughs) There it is again. Like the dark web is the new cartel. (laughs) Like since when people who build websites are scalping people and beating you up, for looking at like this just goes to show you where the new intimidation criminal element not the person who's extorting you or taking your money like i told you to build this hacker or whatever you are or nerd and you look at at the products at stuff you shouldn't see now i'm beating you up scalping a guy like that's Mm. pretty crazy for the guys who are doing illegal stuff who we viewed as just nerds right? right This is the new way technology is going to go. This is where everybody's going to be. The big tough guys are going to be based, internet based now, right? Or the guardians or the builders of websites where crazy things can go down, all the vices, all the illegal things. And they will use the old school intimidation um, tactics to protect that world. It's not for the nerds anymore. Right. Well, and spoiler alert, if you don't watch the previews for upcoming episodes, just tune out for about 30 seconds. We do get a preview for next episode, 
first that oh, Angie yeah. will be going to drop this off onto the Fed floor. And she's going to have to, quote, learn how to hack in one day, which hmm. seems impossible, whatever it is right. she needs to do as part of this. But also that Elliot seems to be recovering in a hospital, looking in very bad shape when guys come back in and put a hand over his mouth. So this isn't even over yet. No. Oy. Things are going to get real. But I don't know where Mr. Robot is in this. You're right. You would think that he would show up when, when he started talking to Ray. Absolutely. You would think that he would have something to say to get him out of it, some way to, you know, talk his way out or social engineer or hold something over him or. And by the way, did we go a whole episode without Elliot talking to us? I believe so. Wow. Notice that. Now, I know that we had that in season one, that there were gaps, but it seems like he's been talking to us a lot lately and we did get a lot of feedback from our Clatcher comments asking us the role of the audience, which we will get into in a few moments. Absolutely. Let's talk bot rating first. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. First, let me refresh you. IMDb gave this episode a 9.7, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it got 100%. Wow. Rotten Tomatoes is kind of dishing those 100% out a lot lately. Yes, I believe that's two in a row for the last two I'm sorry, episode four got 90%, but episode three before that got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. Um, In going over the ratings, I think IMDb is a little more accurate as far as how we viewed it, although they still are pretty high. They haven't gone below an 8.8 all season for them. What okay. uh, do you know? What they were? The yes, episode one, IMDb gave it an 8.8. Episode two, which was, you know, really that same episode, gave it a nine. Three was a 9.1. Four was a 9.1. And five was a 9.7. Oh, okay. So well, they agree that this is the best episode. Yeah. yeah, consistent with our feelings, just a little bit higher on their numbers. So for this episode, I give it a 9.4 robots. It was my favorite episode by far this season. And I found a quote from Critical Consensus that says, Logic Bomb turned Elliot's gaze outward again, having him interact more with other characters and feeling much less like a collection of vaguely connected mini-shows all occurring at the same time. And I do agree that it feel like we really came back together with the main story of how all these characters interconnect and where it's going in the future. I gave it an 8.9. Uh... You know, after, right after the show, I started, I put on my notes. I even went as far as like 7.9. And then as, yeah. I, as I let it sink into my brain more, I realized how, much, uh, how good this episode was. But there's something that I was missing, and I don't know what it was. Hmm. But uh, it wasn't my favorite episode, believe it or not. But I still loved it. I'm going to give it an 8.9. Maybe it's just I'm sad for Elliot. I don't know. <laughs> but... Uh, it was good. It was good. It's strange, though. I, I've heard both reactions. It was my favorite by far, and I've heard people say that, but some people weren't thrilled. They liked the earlier episodes. So I feel like they're two very different styles, yes. and yeah. Esmail knew that. It kind of depends which style you prefer. Before I forget, Esmail did go on record saying, kind of apologizing for how long his episodes were, and yes. we've complained about that. And then this one was shorter. But was it? Yeah, it was 15 yeah. minutes shorter. Yeah, okay. I preferred it. Uh, I did too. 
and and I'm glad that he's doing this, but at the same time, it scares me because I want Esmail to be Esmail, and I don't right. want the people to dictate or change the, his styling and what his mind is thinking up. This is his world. I agree, and I was worried about that, although I think that it just so happened to coincide with his vision anyway. Yeah. Because when interviewed about that after last episode, I believe, he said... I know they've been a little bit long. I acknowledge that, but I have a story that I'm trying to tell and it is wrapping up. The next episodes will be shorter, I promise. So I think that it did sort of coincide with what he was trying to do anyway. And I also wonder if, you know, this was the first episode this season that was written by Kyle Bradstreet. So up until now, he'd been writing and directing. Right. And I just, I always have to wonder if that has influence over things, that sure. it was being reined in a little bit more in this episode. Yeah, perhaps. What are you guys' ratings? Uh, I would give it a nine. Nine Baba Booies. <laughs> <laughs> I like this episode a lot. I thought it was the best episode of the season. Still not as good as one. It's, I still think season one is better. Mm. All the episodes are, mm-hmm. pro- have probably been better. I was pulled in more, I, I feel. Agree. Maybe it was my love of Fight Club. No, yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I give it a 9.72 because... Ooh, 9.7. Well, it's because of my uh, my um, love of Fight Club and everything that happened in season one is now picking up where Fight Club left off. You know, mm. Fight Club, the credit buildings blew up and then you really like I was so annoyed as a kid that I didn't know what happened right after <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to know what happened right after that. And in Fight Club, the book. He's in a mental institution in Fight Club in the book, and everybody's at the mental institution. He thinks it's heaven, and Tyler Durden is in a mental institution, and then the guys who work at the mental institution walk up to him and say, you know, they're waiting for Tyler Durden to come back, almost like we're waiting for Mr. Robot to come back, Mm. which kind of made me feel why he might have actually been in an institution, because that's how it is in the book which differs from the movie. So, I, you know, like I, I was telling Ryan today, I feel like season one is just a prequel, and this is actually the actual season. Like, this is where I see, this season is how I see uh, Mr. Robot actually starting, and you could have just used season one as a prequel. Well, Sam did say. Yeah, Esmail said as much that he intended it to be that way. Oh, it was did a prequel to the yeah. play. Yes, that yeah. this was like if he looked at this very much like a play, and that was the prologue, and now you would get into the meat of Act One. Yeah. All right, so let's go into Clatcher's comments. Sure. We got we got a lot of emails. Yeah, we're gonna have to go through it quickly. I Rather we won't quickly. have as much time to dive into it, but I do promise you, we are listening. We so appreciate it, and if we don't get to fully dissect it, we're gonna continue talking about it into next. Um, episode review as well. So Julia wrote in, Hey, Coffee Clatch crew. My name is Julia, and I love your podcast. I listen to it weekly, and you guys gracefully echo my internal thoughts as I'm watching the show. I just wanted to point out that I noticed Sam Esmail, or at least I believe it to be, sitting on the bench in Coney Island in the virtual reality short film. I just wanted to share and add to the Mr. Robot Easter egg gauntlet. Keep up the good work. So, guys, I sent you the picture. It does look like Sam Esmail sitting on the bench. Yeah, Easter egg hunt is alive. Yeah, I thought it was Elliot sitting there at first. 
I didn't. Uh, I because of what he's wearing, right? Enough. Yeah. For a second, it could look like that. So we don't know for sure if it's Sam, but I'm going to go along the lines that it is because it's a cool story. <laughs> yeah. And so thank you for pointing out that Easter egg. Julia and everyone else listening, if you find any other Easter eggs, please let us know and we'll talk about it. Yes. As part of the fun with Mr. Robot. They could let us know by emailing us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com or tweet us at CKC Podcast. And please follow us on Facebook, Coffee Class Crew. You, you'll see that. You'll see our ugly mugs and uh, just follow us on there. <laughs> on to the next one. Alyssa from Twitter wrote, um, don't you think the viewership may have been lower because of the DNC this past Wednesday? So we did speak about viewership last episode in yes. regards to the episode prior, because we get the numbers uh, mm-hmm. the following week. And that does make sense, if that's the case. Correct. Yeah. So episode three had 0.8 million viewers. Episode four was down to 0.64. So but there was the RNC was the week before the DNC, right? I believe so. I don't know so if it was right. a Wednesday, though. This might have no, it counted. was running all week. They had different people talking. I think that was when Donald Trump Jr. talked on Wednesday. And then I would think it was Ivanka on Thursday. Oh, DTJ? DTJ was on? Yeah. Oh, shit. He spoke very well. I'm so bad with politics. But that (laughs) does make sense. And thank you, Alyssa. Mm -hmm. Before we get to uh, what you're saying, Chris, I just want to give a shout out to Philly Bauer for your awesome review on iTunes. You know we have three channels. He went to our Mr. Robot channel and he gave an awesome review. And thanks to him and you guys, you fans that we were last week at one point number 42 on top of the charts for TV and film on iTunes. I think we've dropped down to 63, but that's probably because we only do one episode a week. Yeah. But it's because of you guys that we're finally uh, we're climbing the charts, and hopefully uh, pretty soon we can get some sponsors and start doing more podcasts. Yes, by downloading, hopefully you'll subscribe to us so that all of our new episodes will just automatically download. Makes it easier for you. Like we said, if you want to just follow the regular Coffee Clatch crew page, you will get all downloads of any new episodes we put out. And we would also greatly appreciate that rate and review, which does push us a little higher up. And eventually, if we can continue with this, we can get more episodes out per week, more bonus content, continue to give you what you like to hear. So... Thank you, everybody, for participating. I have two more Clatcher comments that are a little bit longer, so I'll read them off. We can briefly talk about it, but this is a topic that I've been (laughs) definitely in love with and pushing a lot because I have been wondering for a long time, who are we as viewers? When Elliot turns and speaks to us, what role are we playing in this show? I got two responses to that. One is from Arthur, who says, I just discovered your Mr. Robot podcast and I very much enjoy it. No one I know is watching Mr. Robot yet, so I have no one to talk to about it. It's great to listen and helps me pick up on clues I missed, figure out scenes I misunderstood. He has a theory for us. You all seem to take for granted that Elliot is talking to us, the viewers, and that we, quote, are the secret friend he is confiding in and saving a seat for at his dream table. I think this is one possible interpretation, but far from a settled question. Another is that the person he's talking to in his mind is a deeper, even more personal and trusted split of his identity, one who Esmail has yet to reveal to us, an identity he is keeping secret from us all, including Mr. Robot. This is a possibility because A, it is consistent with Elliot's character. He's already having one additional personality. 
B, it's consistent with the internal logic of the show. Breaking the fourth wall and talking to the viewer is not something anyone else in the show does. We have access to Elliot's thoughts when he talks to Mr. Robot. And C, it adds to the mystery not knowing who he is talking to and will make for a killer plot twist when it's finally revealed. His inner child, an imaginary friend he invented to keep him safe from his parents when he was young, or something even more surprising. Hmm. Hmm. I've definitely thought about that before, especially when they showed an empty seat at the table. Yes. Uh, his one dream sequence. I thought that it could not just be us as viewers. It could be an actual person. Oh, yeah. I've definitely wondered that. But the idea that he's keeping this personality even secret from Mr. Robot mm -hmm. is a factor I never put into it. And I really like thinking about that because does that mean he trusts us more? And why would he need to keep us hidden from right. Mr. Robot? So I wondered last time if he is looking at us as a sort of conscience. So the Mr. Robot does the hacking, but he also does the more sinister acts. Do we keep him back from some of that? But Arthur's saying it's not us. It's another right. character. Well, yeah, that he's talking to us, but not as the audience. Okay. You know, it's, right. it's as another personality, yeah. I dig it. The but selfish Arthur part is. of me wants, to be the, it wants it to be me, not someone else. <laughs> vanity. You're vanity. Yeah. <laughs> I want to feel uh, important. Arthur, if no one else, you can't talk to anyone, just show it to everybody you possibly can. That's what I did. I was showing this to everyone that would listen to me. <laughs> I would show Mr. Robot. I'd talk about it. I'd be like, yeah, it's like the Matrix, but without the Matrix, before Neo really became Neo, before, like, if Neo never found the Matrix and he was just some hacker guy. Yeah, it's Matrix without the pill. Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just tell people about it. Just show them it and shove it down their throats and then make exactly. them listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. And the next theory will blow your mind as well. So thank you to Arthur. We're going to continue that discussion throughout our future episodes. Kevin also wrote in about us as the audience. He says, We're God in the scripted and meta sense, both. In the scripted sense, we decide if the show continues, and in some ways I think we may get more engaged in the process of this season. I completely believe it will be an audience-choose-your-adventure ending. All of the elements surrounding it are attempts to engage the audience via social networks, even so far as to make us into hackers, too. Seeing how much effort Esmail has packed into this season, I would not be surprised if he filmed two to three potential outcomes, which has that been talked about. I like that. I don't like that. He also says, Meta, we silently watch Elliot. We listen to him and decide his fate, yet he can't hear from us directly. We are the only truly neutral participants in his life because we have nothing to gain or lose if he lives or dies, ends the world, or saves it. He doesn't know if we even care, yet he believes we exist and talks to us as true omniscient confidants. Ooh. Hold on, because he's got... A few other things to say. Also, he wants to weigh in on the Darlene thing. He thinks she's also Elliot. I looked at other family pictures on whomrrobot.com, whoismrrobot.com, and she isn't in any of the family pics. She materializes just like Mr. Robot did in season one. I believe she is also the same age as him, convenient for Elliot because he doesn't need to be big brother or little brother. They're equals of opposite sex. And we didn't see her in the flashback when he got hurt. I think that's where he's, like, yeah. coming off of that originally. We talked about that last episode. So, 
Okay, he's got some bombshells. First of all, this theory is out there about the audience engaging and Esmail kind of going off of our feedback and deciding which ending to give us. I don't like that. What I don't? hated that because that's what I thought Lost did uh, uh-huh. without letting anyone know. I thought that they had, uh, they got, they didn't know how, that they were lost. They didn't know how to finish Lost. So they just started reading the internet and picked out the best, whatever they felt was the best ending. (laughs) And it also made me feel lost with Joanna when she said uh, about, we let them die with answers. I felt that that was also made me think of Lost and when television shows don't fulfill their promises of the things that they've alluded to mm-hmm. or hidden and they're just ruthless murderers because I definitely loved the lost and then they didn't come through with any, most of the things that they had hidden this whole time. I'm, I'm a little bitter about how lost <laughs> Well, and I do have to say Esmiel does seem to be paying attention a lot more in engaging this than any other creators of shows as far as putting in the Easter eggs and watching the things on Reddit and then maybe responding to that in episodes, even like you said, questioning the episode length. I do think there is a greater degree of interaction than anything I've seen on TV so far. Yes. But I don't know if he would necessarily take it so far to that ending point. Change his vision. Because he seems to really have a vision. Yeah. Um, However, I do really like the idea of us being God. Mm-hmm. as the right. alternate who Elliot is talking to. I think that if you follow mm-hmm. some of what he said to us through, that could definitely make sense. I don't like the Darlene is Elliot thing. I, I know that was brought up a long time ago. Yes. Right. And it is kind of weird that he forgets who she is and she's not in family pictures. But I think given their completely separate interactions on the show, mm-hmm. that would be a far stretch for me. Yeah, a lot of it does make sense for her to be him uh, as far as... I just as want to see Elliot practicing ballet with <laughs> Angie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. But also, this season definitely solidifies that it's not him because he's in. He's not able to do what she's doing right now. He's if stuck he's, there. Yeah. 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 That's My what I'm whole thinking. thing is that there's a scene where Darlene tells her boyfriend, you're still in me. Yes. Oh, yeah. While they're having sex. <laughs> so I would like to see how that's recreated. <laughs> <laughs> that's very interesting how that's recreated. But these are definitely things that everyone is talking about. It's good, active conversation. So thank you very much, Kevin, for writing in and if anybody else has alternate theories about who we are as viewers, we would love to hear them. This is my favorite part of the podcast when we interact with our viewers because they come up with stuff. They make our minds think differently. No, I agree. I, I love to hear the alternate theories and to kind of step outside. That's why I love Ryan and Jamal having you guys on the podcast, too. It gives another point of view, another perspective that I think really adds to this conversation. Yeah. And just as a reminder... We already said it, but I just want to clarify. We have three channels. The Coffee Clatch Crew podcast. That's our main aggregator. That's where you get everything. Then we have the Mr. Robot review and the Game of Thrones review. Currently, the Game of Thrones review is acting as an aggregator as well because we get the most viewers there. But eventually, we're going to start just spreading them out. So uh, get on that Coffee Clatch Crew. And next up, 
the upcoming episode, episode six, which is 2.4 in robot language, will be Master Slave. Ooh. That title is very intriguing. Yes, and it, it is also a computer saying, but we'll get into that next episode. Ah, okay, well, stay tuned for that. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. <laughs>